today on Ag News Daily. There were some people in the in the ag sector in the ag community who really thought that we weren't going to learn very much because they thought farmer sentiment was strictly going to be tied to, for example, corn, soybean prices, wheat prices, hog prices, beef prices, dairy prices, etc. And it turns out that's not the case. Well, happy Friday, listeners. Welcome to the Ag News Daily Podcast. My name is Tanner Winterhoff. My fellow co-host is Delaney Howe. Welcome to a Friday episode, Delaney. Thank you, Tanner. Although I'm not sure I'm feeling very Friday today. Why? Just because it's raining? I don't know. I guess so. I've just been trying to get a lot of work done before I take a week <laughs> off for our wedding. So I've been working like, I don't know how many hours at this point, late into the evening to make sure that things run smoothly. Oh, that's right. Well, at least you know that when you're off for the wedding, that things will continue to progress here on Ag News Daily without yeah. missing a beat. Yeah, you guys will probably take care of it, won't you? Oh, I just thought of a really, really bad transition, and I'm oh, going to use no. it because it's a fry <laughs> Uh Do you know what is missing a beat? See, this is really mm, bad, but we're going to run a, with yeah, it. Yeah, that's a dad joke. Okay, what is it, Tanner? What is missing a beat? The former prime minister of Japan. Unfortunately, he did die yesterday at age 67 after an assassination attempt was successful. So he was Japan's longest serving prime minister and was back on the campaign trail. And the assassination happened during a campaign speech Friday in Nara, Japan. This was also publicly televised. So the assassination was caught live on TV. The viewers were able to see him at the podium giving the speech, collapse, and then clutch his chest with blood very quickly uh, showing up in the footage. Gun violence is a very low and very rare thing in Japan. They have one of the strictest gun control policies in place. However, uh, this assassination attempt, as stated, was successful. And even though despite not being Japan's current prime minister, he was uh, extremely influential in national security and economic policies and, like I said, was back on the campaign trail. Hmm. You don't hear about assassination attempts much anymore. No. And uh, it, Japan is an ally of ours mm-hmm. and has been uh, for some time here. And um, it was known that he was a strong proponent of relationships in trade agreements with the U.S. So I'm curious, the more in-depth portion of these articles as they come up as to uh, what the result from the individual doing the assassination, what goals he was trying to stop from moving forward. Tanner, I don't even know how to segue out of that. So I'm just going to go ahead and jump right along here. Smithfield Foods has reached a $42 million settlement against claims of price fixing in the pork industry. They have reached this settlement with several different restaurants and restaurant chains that claimed that Smithfield conspired to inflate pork prices, which has been a common concern by many for a couple of years now. But these restaurants say that Smithfield, along with several other companies, including Hormel, Tyson Foods, Seaboard Foods, and Triumph Foods, shared confidential price information from 2009 until early 2022. And the U.S. District Court of Minnesota said the settlement does not 
indicate wrongdoing against Smithfield, but that doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> you don't take us, you don't give out a settlement payment uh, if there is a clean white napkin in front of well, you. Well, that's what I was thinking. Well, interestingly enough, an uh, article coming out of Omaha, Nebraska states that Cisco is accusing the four largest beef processors of price fixing as well. So to stack on these price fixing lawsuits, Cisco states that the nation's largest food di distributor has now joined other businesses in accusing large meat processors of working together to inflate beef prices. So they follow, filed their lawsuit in Texas, uh, accusing Tyson Foods, JBS, Cargill, and National Beef of price fixing. This lawsuit joins those of others in the cattle industry that have been put in place since 2020 in the Minnesota federal court. The lawsuit cites that these companies conspired to suppress the number of cattle being slaughtered since at least 2015 to drive up the price of beef due to supply in the market. So uh, interesting here that it states that there are similar price fixing lawsuits also pending in pork and chicken. So maybe your article was stating to try and get some of these pork ones to just go away. You know, I tell you what, it must be a protein kind of a day because really the only news I have for today is related to the protein markets. But as we continue to look at the spread of African swine fever, Germany was dealt a pretty serious blow to their sector's economy and swine industry as we've seen some major outbreaks in some major pork producing areas. The outbreak happened on a farm in the lower Saxony area which is in the, nor the northwest region of Germany and is Germany's most concentrated pig sector. And so as we know, it's not, of course, harmless to humans, but very fatal to hogs. And China will not allow pork to be imported from any country that's still reporting African swine fever cases. And so Germany will remain on the banned list for the time being. And, you know, China is still trying to recover from African swine fever themselves. So they're having to pick and choose what partners they can do business with now, Tanner, as so many countries are still dealing with African swine fever, even though the mainstream media and even some ag media is not necessarily reporting on it. Yeah, we haven't heard that headlines around ASF for quite a while. So interesting to see one pop back up. Well, I have two fuel related articles to report on today. So according to investing.com, U.S. crude oil inventories rose unexpectedly last week, according to the Energy Information Administration. The unexpected spike could stoke fears about lowering demand. So crude oil inventories jumped 8.2 million barrels against expectations for a drawdown of a million barrels. So a 9 million barrel swing in the crude oil inventories. That data was released Thursday day later than normal because of the 4th of July holiday. But when you look at ethanol production, it's almost like it was a planned reduction in demand because ethanol output dropped to the lowest level in about a month while inventories increased. So if you think about the economics behind that, Delaney, the industry lowered their output and inventories went up. So I would say there's probably some pretty good predictive analytics in that industry, production of the biofuel fell to an average of 1.044 million barrels per day. That was down from 1.051 1 
the lowest level since June 3rd. The inventories, meanwhile, rose to 23.49 million barrels uh, in a day the week through July 21 or July 1st of 2022. That's up from the week prior of 22.746 million barrels. So highest level that for a week of seven days that ended on June 3rd. So lowest production since June 3rd, highest level of inventories since June 3rd for ethanol production. Well, as you talk about production, Tanner, next week we've got the July WASD report and was reading some interesting commentary this morning because as we've reported on, there is a lot of hot and dry patches here across the United States that uh, certainly could see some impact to yields. However, Arlen Suderman of Stonex shared in his morning newsletter yesterday that the USDA doesn't typically adjust yield during the July WASD report. They've done it just two other times or three other times in the history of the series. Most notably back in 2012 was the last time we saw them adjust corn yields during the month of July. So even though confidence models are not very high right now that July will have, or the corn crop will have supportive yields, he says it's unlikely that we'll see that adjusted in this month's report. However, if we do, it's a big deal. Yeah, I can see why it would be a big deal. Um, Certainly, it will be interesting for us to report on and see if we can get some good analysis of for you as the listeners. The other thing that will be interesting to see if there is a factor in the grain market is the strengthening U.S. dollar. So our dollar value has been surging so much recently that it is nearly equal in value to the euro. So this would be the first time in 20 years if that trend continues. Now, if you think about that on a macro scale, Delaney, that threatens to hurt a lot of American companies that export because now our goods become more expensive for foreign buyers. If our dollar is valued at more, it would take more of other currencies to make our dollar. So if these U.S. exports are hurt as a result, it could potentially slow our economy even further. However, the positive side, Delaney, is mainly for those that uh, are looking to stifle inflation. You know, this is stronger dollars tied directly to the Fed's moves, and I'll get to that here in a little bit. But if you like to purchase imported goods, that's where it is a benefit to us. So cars, computers, toys, medical equipment become less expensive because our dollar makes it a bargain for us to purchase things from overseas. Same thing if you are a traveler, a tourist. It also is in your benefit to have a strong dollar because when you travel overseas or in other countries and exchange your stronger dollar for their currency, you get more of their money. But the U.S. dollar index, Delaney, is uh, the measure of American money compared to six major foreign currencies. And it has jumped nearly 12% to a two-decade high. And the euro is now worth just under a dollar and two cents. So almost a dollar to dollar. The dollar is climbing mainly because the Federal Reserve is raising its interest rates to aggressively stifle inflation and is doing it faster than the central banks of other countries. So strong dollar, something else for us to watch to see how that affects commodities. But that's what I have for news today on this Friday edition. Well, I have just one other piece of news here, because as we look at a lot of 
impacts to the protein sector. Of course, we've still got African swine fever. We've got inflation causing price increases at the grocery store. We've got the aftermath here of avian influenza. And Tyson is expanding chicken production in the growing Middle Eastern market of Saudi Arabia and has reached a $70 million agreement to acquire a stake in Saudi Arabia's Tan Maya Food Co. And with that, Tanner, you know, a lot of folks are expecting to see chicken become a dominant player in the protein sector. However, with the reduction that we've seen here due to avian influenza, uh, chicken is not expected to be that much cheaper of a commodity when you add that into inflation in the long run. So all in all, protein as a whole is expected to get increasingly more expensive this year, even though, you know, lower grade products like chicken. Yeah. And that was going to be the comment I was going to interject. So I'm glad that you uh, had derived that. It just seems like supply right now will be our biggest battle in pricing combating inflation. Uh, but I did find one letter piece here, just a headline that I caught that I wanted to share. Any of you John Deere Gator fans, John Deere is now offering auto track ready options for your John Deere Gator. So hands-free driving, if you like to use your Gator as a tool on your farm, now will come integrated for uh, a 4640 display and Starfire 7000 receiver. But what's going on in the markets today, Delaney? Well, Tanner, markets are continuing to trade higher yet again today. Maybe a little bit of oversold action that we saw earlier this week, and the bulls are making up for it this morning. December corn's up about eight pennies this morning at 604. Soybeans up about five pennies at 1371. Wheat's up across the board as well. And livestock this morning are trading mixed. Live cattle, mixed across the front month and deferred contracts. Feeder cattle lower this morning and lean hogs trading higher, Tanner. There you go. Well, that was a good segment of news. Very efficiently delivered, if I don't say so ourselves. So let's jump into your Friday conversation and get you out the door. All right, listeners, it is time for us to dive deep into the ag economy. We are extremely blessed to have a fantastic guest with us today for a portion of our explanation. So we have Jim Minturk here. He is the Director, Center for Commercial Agriculture at Purdue University, and here to talk to us a little bit about the ag economy barometer. How are you doing, Jim? Doing great, and pleasure to be with you today. Yes, the pleasure is all ours. Before we jump into it, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about your professional career and what you've done up to this point? Well, I've been a professor here at Purdue for about 13 years. And uh, prior to that, I was on the faculty at Kansas State University in uh, the Department of Agricultural Economics uh, for a little over 20 years. Um, earned bachelor's and master's degrees here at Purdue. Uh, earned my doctorate at the University of Missouri. Uh, grew up in Missouri and uh, got my interest in agriculture, helping my dad farm. Uh, our family had a farming operation just north of St. Louis uh, in the river bottoms there, right where the Mississippi and Missouri rivers come together, about oh, eight or 10 miles north of the St. Louis Arch. That is great. Your roots run very deep. Our listeners are very familiar with the Ag Economy Barometer. We have reported upon that each time that it gets released, but for the sake of new listeners, could you tell us a little bit about what that is? 
Yeah, so the barometer is a sentiment survey, um, and sentiment surveys have been around since roughly the end of World War II, and, and probably the most famous and most well-known sentiment survey is the University of Michigan has been publishing something called the Consumer Sentiment Survey since the early 1950s. And there's several others. I mean, I think probably your listeners are familiar with some of the other ones like the conference board. Um, there was nothing in the agricultural sector to measure the sentiment of producers or agribusiness firms in the ag sector. And so we entered into a partnership with the CME group back in uh, 2015 to launch a sentiment survey um, targeted towards agricultural producers. Um, so what we did is we kind of modeled what we do based largely on what the University of Michigan had already done on the consumer side and sort of adapted that to the ag side. So the survey each month is based on initially just five questions uh, that ask people, you know, about financial conditions on their farm and their perspective, both current and future. Um, and we use those five questions to generate the index. Um, and in, any index is going to have to have a base value. So our base period that we use to compute the base value is the first six months we collected data. So we, we launched this project in the fall of 2015. And then, so the base period is the, the last three months of 2015, the first three months of uh, 2016. And what that means is if you take the barometer uh, measurements or uh, index values for that six month period and average them, they average out to 100. So an index value that's above 100 indicates people had a more positive view of what was going on in the ag economy than they did during that base period. And of course, a number below that would be a, a indication that their perspective was more more negative than it was during that base period. And so we've been collecting data every month since then. Um, it's a phone survey. We survey 400 people every month. And one point of confusion is we don't survey the same people every month. Uh, we have a large database of commercial scale farmers in the U.S. And we pull from that uh, every month and, and have new people in the survey. And the way we maintain continuity from one month, one month to the next is to um, hold the characteristics, the production characteristics, the enterprises they're engaged in constant. And so every month we survey people who are engaged in corn and soybean production, wheat production, cotton on the crop side, and then the livestock side, beef, pork, and hog uh, and dairy. Glad that you answered one of the questions I was going to have about who your polled audience is. And I was going to ask if you had just 400 people on speed dial. So I'm glad that you shared that. Uh, one of the reasons we wanted to reach out specifically now is we're not in unprecedented times due to the survey results that you've received, but we are certainly approaching uh, levels that we have not seen for quite some time. So could you maybe expand upon some of the results? That came out of the July, I think it was the July 5th release. Yeah, so we do the survey every month, and it's normally roughly the middle of the month. So the July release is based on survey results we collected in the middle of June. And that's kind of important. I'll, I'll mention that a little later, but um, the timing can can make an impact sometimes. So as you mentioned, the barometer, the sentiment value has really dropped pretty hard, especially over the last 18 months or so. Uh, this month's reading was 97. It was only down a couple of points compared to the month earlier. 
But if you compare the barometer to where it was a year ago, it was at 137. And if you go back to the beginning of 2021, we had readings up around 175. So farmer sentiment has really collapsed over the last roughly year and a half. And, you know, if you look at a couple of the sub indices, we have a, we use the, the base level questions to compute an index of current conditions and an index of future expectations. They have both collapsed as well. Uh, so people are less optimistic about the current situation on their farm. They are less optimistic about their future uh, expectations for their farming operation and for the ag sector than they were this time last year. And, and certainly since uh, the beginning of of uh, 2021. And so the sentiment decline is really interesting because from a profitability standpoint, for example, in Iowa, corn and soybean operations in 2021 were pretty profitable. Um, mm-hmm. 2022 looks like it might not be as good as 2021 as commodity prices and yield expectations fluctuate, that changes. Uh, but still, by historical standards, looks like it's going to be a very good year. So the puzzle is you know, why is this sentiment so weak? And uh, we've been asking a lot of questions in addition to those base questions to try and learn more about what's driving this change in sentiment. So in the initial uh, conversation, when you introduced this to our listeners, you mentioned that 100 on the index level was considered average or middle. And you just stated that we are in the 90s, correct? So this would be considered below average sentiment? Well, I'd be a little careful about average. So the average was the readings from that fourth quarter of 2015 in the first quarter of 2016. Because in any index, you have to have a base. And so we had a base period, which was simply the first six months that we collected data. But what it does say is that sentiment now is a little bit weaker, not much, but a little bit weaker than the average of that 2015-2016 period, which is interesting because – from your listener's standpoint, you know, you might want to sit back and think, well, what was going on in 2015 and, and early 2016? And of course, we had a very profitable period and especially crop agriculture from 2007 to roughly 2013. And then of course, we had a downturn that really got underway in 14, continued into 15, continued into 16. And we had Farmland values actually starting to decline a little bit, uh, depending on which state you were in the Corn Belt. I think uh, farmland values declined over that period about 10 to 15 percent. Um, I think a couple of states, maybe a little more than that. So it was a relatively weak period in terms of farm income, balance sheets weakening, uh, just a lot of concern, which is quite a bit different than now, because right now balance sheets, by and large, are pretty strong. Income statements are pretty good. Um, so. The difference is this tremendous amount of uncertainty that's out there. Farmers are extremely anxious about the uncertainty that exists. And farmers are always acclimated to some degree of uncertainty, right? Because we're acclimated to the idea that commodity prices are volatile. But what we're not acclimated to is what's been taking place over the last roughly year and a half, which is uncertainty about cost of production, uncertainty about input prices, uncertainty about input availability. And that has just created a tremendous amount of anxiety. Um, and, I, and I think our surveys are really reflecting that. And you made a comment that 
it's important to touch on when your phone calls are made and they're made during the middle of the month. How does that affect? Well, it, it's, it's an interesting point and we'll find out more when we do the, the July survey, but the June survey was collected from June 13th through June 17th. And if you look at what's happened to corn, soybean, and wheat prices since the 17th of June, they've all dropped sharply. Right. Um, I did a, I did a quick comparison, I think yesterday morning when I was doing another program. And if you look at the close on the 17th of the front month futures contracts for both corn and soybeans, I think corn was down about a, a dollar and a half through yesterday morning. Uh, soybeans were down about a buck 80. That's a lot of revenue. And so I, it's going to be interesting to see how, what kind of impact that has on the July survey when we start collecting data here next week. But sometimes when you get that kind of a shift, it can really have an impact because that's clearly going to have an impact on people's expectations with respect to their gross revenue and ultimately their profitability here in 2022. Yes, it will. And it's always interesting to read the articles around the results that you produce. You know, there's a lot of speculation that goes in by those who write them, uh, but a lot of them continue to cite the rising costs, you know, that uncertainty that you continue to hit on for the future crops. It seems like we, we've kind of got a handle on what's, what's going on currently, um, but to see what's going to happen in the future, especially when you talk rising rates, all input costs across the board. Uh, but as this project goes over the last oh five to six years that you guys have been working on it, what what's the most value that you have pulled from the results in working on this project? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so when we started this, there were some people in the in the ag sector in the ag community who really thought that we weren't going to learn very much because they thought farmer sentiment was strictly going to be tied to, for example, corn, soybean prices, wheat prices, um, hog prices, beef prices, dairy prices, et cetera. And it turns out that's not the case. It is true that changes in those key commodities prices can have an impact on farmer sentiment, but sentiment is a lot more than, um, just what's taking place with respect to income and what's going on right now is, is really interesting, right? Because here we are in an environment where incomes were very good in 21 look like they're going to be pretty good here in 2022 and yet sentiment's very weak. And so that can influence behavior. And I guess that's really the, the underlying goal in terms of the barometer itself is to maybe give some insight in terms of, what people are thinking about, um, what's bothering them, what's what's good in terms of what's going on, uh, how are policy changes uh, impacting them, what what are the concerns with respect to policy, et cetera. So, you know, the barometer itself is a phone survey. The barometer index is based on five initial questions. When we get people on the phone, we try not to keep them on the phone for more than about five minutes. Well, in five minutes, we can ask a lot more than just those five base level questions. And so it creates a lot of opportunity for us to kind of measure um, what people are thinking about, what's bothering them, uh, how they're thinking about a variety of different things, whether it's ag policy, trade policy, taxation policy. Um, all of those things kind of feed into sentiment, and it allows us to learn more about what what the issues are and how people feel about it. Yeah, that's great. It's fun for like I said, I, I kind of get nerd, 
nerd-like when I read the results here, of course, with my financial background. But for our listeners, uh, there is a wealth of information out there. So if they want to find you and your team at Purdue and the work that you guys have done, what's the best way for them to seek out the results you've produced? So the probably the easiest thing for most people, and your, whatever your favorite search, search engine is, just type in Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture. And that'll bring you to the Center for Commercial Agriculture's website. And then we do have a, a separate link at the top that would take you to the barometer itself, but we also have a wealth of other information. So I would recommend just in your search engine, just type in Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture, and, and we should pop up number one in your search results. That is great. And I really appreciate you, Jim, for jumping on the podcast with us to have this conversation. Hopefully we can get some farmer sentiment turned around and start to see uh, your results pop back up. That would be good. And it's going to take some uh, reduction in the volatility and things like input prices. I think before that probably sees much improvement, it's, but it's going to be interesting. That's for sure. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining us. We hope you have a great day. Thank you. There you go, Delaney. Uh, I did my best at the end of that interview to look for some positive sentiment in the agricultural sector, knowing this was a Friday conversation. We'll see if we can get the uh, ag economy barometer and the farmer sentiment figures a little higher. Maybe we can do our part here on the Ag News Daily podcast to brighten everybody's day. Yeah, Tanner, I think that's a good goal for us to tackle next week. <laughs> oh, that's fair. So are you hinting that maybe we should wrap this up? I think we should, Tanner. Let's let the people go. Let's let them go.